Really don't mind if you sit this one out My words but a whisper, deafness, a shout I may make you feel, but I can't make you think Your sperm's in the gutter, your love's in the sink And welcome back to Life MMA and the NBA. I'm your host, DJ San Marco, here on a beautiful rainy Sunday afternoon. I know they don't say that in Scotland, uh, where my guest is from, because rainy is sort of the order of the day, but that's beside the point. Uh, So Sunday's episode of his very own segment on my show called Chillin' with McGrillin. So party people, put your hands together for Andy McGrillin. Just fight my way through this crowd. Hello, Andy. Get your way through the crowd. It's a mosh pit. You might have to throw a few elbows, but you know, you growing up playing uh, soccer in Scotland, I'm sure you're probably accustomed to that. Um, brother, welcome, man. It's good to have you. Yeah, good. Good to be back. It's always a good time to talk. Uh, it's been a, a busy couple of days, busy weekend, <laughs> busy day. Yes. You are so busy, man. You were in Scotland buying football jerseys yesterday. Right? I was, yeah. <laughs> and today you're back home about to host Contact in the Desert. Uh, and already uh, we got a caller, somebody that uh, is into the UFO community from uh, UFO Twitter named Nathan. Did you want to give your Twitter handle, Nate, your Twitter handle, Nathan? Sure. Hey, guys. Um, my Twitter handle is a waif soul. That's A-W-A-I-F-S-O-U-L. Well, dude, so thank you so much for joining us on this momentous occasion uh, where of the UFO, the release of the uh, UAP task force report that I might, I, I, I got to be honest with you, Andy has put a little bit of icing on this cake. I might karate chop it right down the middle, but you know what? I mean, that's, <laughs> that's what we're all here for. So, uh, bef- but before we, uh, we get into that dialogue, Nathan, what did you have that you wanted to say to Andy? Sure. Yeah. Well, one, I just wanted to say uh, a big thank you to Andy uh, and Dan uh, for all the work that they're doing uh, with their podcast. Uh, it's a it's a really welcome voice in the community, uh, and I appreciate. You know, I know that it takes a ton of time, hours, you know, blood, sweat, and tears <laughs> to do what he does, and and it's really appreciated. And it's been cool to see that uh, community grow uh, over time, and I know it will continue to grow, particularly with this latest uh, release, the, the UAP, UAPTF report. I mean, I think that's something that hasn't necessarily been talked about uh, in the last couple of days, but uh, for those in the community, quote unquote, uh, <laughs> we could very well be seeing a, a huge uptick in interest uh, from, from folks around the world. And they're going to be looking for quality sources of information, and and you know, without a doubt, I wouldn't hesitate pointing them to Andy's podcast as a as a good resource. I agree. Yeah. I'm I'm here to provide some contrast for non high quality information, so that way you can. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding, everybody. Go ahead, Andy. What do you want to say? Yeah, no, uh, thanks. Hi, Nathan. Uh, Nathan, I've been I've spoke to Nathan for quite a while now as well, and then always listened, which is very much appreciated. Um, yeah, it's it's interesting to hear Nathan being positive about the report because it, it has split the community. Um, it, it was always going to, and I'm probably going to make the point a few times. And I'm later on tonight. I'm doing it for my own listener call-in show as well. That 
there's a lot of the report wasn't for the public it wasn't for us it, this was this was for congress and requested by and if i get my terminology wrong it was requested by the senate congress you know if they're wanting oh. the same thing there was two parts of the report you've got your classified section that we'd all love to see that's the bit that you know sounds or could be really juicy it could just be classified for reasons that we might find really dull but it sounds like it's not but we got to see a portion of it that was declassified and that's the the section of it that's fit for public consumption i, I don't necessarily think it was for the public but in, in this subject particularly people are very precious about they didn't give us what we wanted it wasn't for us i think a large part of this getting to this point is or at least a portion of it is because of people like nathan who's been online and on twitter and on social media and listened to podcasts like mine and whatever other podcasts or media he watches chooses to share talks to friends it's allowed the conversation to get to a point where someone like lou elizondo and and his colleagues have managed to get this report pushed through because this is in large part to them with with a lot of the community behind them as well so that's that's been the success but i i commented that for me it's got to be a case of and this is just the way i see it this isn't necessarily it's just my opinion but you know that means a lot to me uh, <laughs> it means a lot to us <laughs> yeah. as yeah. well because you 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 framed it very well just at the outset here yeah no thanks um that that's probably all downhill from here um but <laughs> <laughs> so it's I, th I think though from this point it's like okay good we need to move on the report's out it's gone There's, and for me it's like I, I don't dwell on successes or failures and I, I don't think we should dwell on this either because it's right what's next and that's just the way i am and i think that's that's the way this has got to be as well and to be honest after it dropped less than 48 hours ago and a lot's already happened since and a lot more is going to happen by the next 48 hours time as well maybe 72 hours but that's that's just the impact this has had it was just the next step it opened the door a little bit more and it's good to see nathan nathan being so positive with what's what's coming do you mind me asking nathan nathan what do you think's coming next from this yeah, I mean, I've, I've uh, spent a little time today just sort of jotting down some thoughts uh, about what all this means. And I, I feel like there are two big pieces uh, that are now coming into play because of this report. So one is the historical piece, um, and that is uh, the United States and, and I'm sure several other governments are going to have to grapple with the decades of information that they have. Uh, that, you know, how do you release that information? How do you acclimate both your uh, U.S. population, but also world population to this reality? Even if you don't have all of the answers, you, you, you do have a lot of information that you kept from the public. So you have this historical part that you're going to have to deal with. And this report, in a way, uh, if you, if one, let, let's assume that, that that that's true. And I think in the community, we would assume that, that uh, that's true. They do have that information. This report is sort of the baby stepping uh, toward a, a grander acknowledgement, you know, sort of a wider acknowledgement that this is real. They're holding folks' hand, bringing them along for the ride. And in, and in addition, retconning the past. You know, they're kind of trying to uh, rehabilitate the image of the government from being this, you know, sort of secretive, hiding this information to being more transparent and, and bringing those along for the ride. So I think that's one big component of this report that. Uh, it kind of lays that first uh, stepping stone, if you will, uh, towards a kind of a rehabilitation uh, 
pathway. The other part of this, you know, to me and the more profound part of it um, is uh, I think wrestling with the philosophical implications of, of this truth. And, and the truth that, that I would say here is um, if, we, if we acknowledge and believe that there, are, there is a non-human intelligence, uh, whether that, that's, that's one intelligence or multiple intelligences, different species, whatever it is, just the virtue of the fact that there is a non-human intelligence, that raises a ton of questions for humanity in terms of um, how do we have a relationship with this intelligence? Who do they relate with? Who do they talk to? How, how is that information mediated to the world? Um, if it's mediated in a, in a sort of um, political manner, then you have message control. You know, you have, uh, you know, if it's not transparent, you have an issue of trust. Um, even if it is transparent, if you're dealing with a, a superior intelligence to, to ours, how do you know whatever they're saying is true? We have no means of, of uh, validating what they're telling us is, is truthful. Um, how do we know that they're benign? How do we know that they're not malicious? You know, there, there are all these questions that, that kind of unfold from acknowledging this reality. And, and for me, the only way that I think uh, you can chart a path uh, to understanding there would be into deeper kind of trust with this intelligence would be for the intelligence to really step out of the shadows and take a more leading partnering role with the leadership of, of the world. You know, if they were to, you know, clearly kind of reveal themselves and, and, you know, provide information and knowledge and, and share things with humanity that benefit, you know, hu humankind uh, throughout the world, then I think you've got an olive branch there basically for the rest of society to go, oh, okay, you know, we, we can trust this or feels more trustworthy. Now that that's not to say they could be playing, you know, some sort of long game chess, right? Mm -hmm. And so these these olive branch types of things could end up being, uh, you know, sort of bite us in the, in the ass later on. But, um, you know, it would be interesting to, for me, that that's kind of the other part of this coin is, you know, how do we deal with these larger kind of metaphysical philosophical questions? I actually mentioned that to I tweeted that at Ryan Graves yesterday and I tweeted at um, Alex like a while ago and I never got an answer from either one. I was hoping somebody that knew them could ask him this question, which is from the aviation side. And I come from the military aviation side of the house. So I'm like, did you come up on a guard frequency and just talk to it and just see if it would, you know, if you could get it to react to just your voice. Hey, object in front of me at this altitude, mm -hmm. you know, ro rock your form if you, you know, and it doesn't have wings. So we can't say rock your wings like we would do to regular <laughs> aircraft, but, you mm -hmm. know, make some sort of maneuver. So, yeah. Um, and I think didn't somebody ask Lou? Um, OK, somebody asked Lou about a week or two ago, have you tried, has the US government tried to contact or draw in these objects in some way? And his answer was one word, it was yes. So yeah. I thought that was interesting. Um, Andy, you framed the report really well. Nathan, your uh, your thoughts are very profound and, and deep and broad and, and where I think it's the questions that need to be asked and answered uh if not next very soon but um i can you know get your guys thoughts on what i thought about the report and some of the notes that i wrote if if you guys are up for that yeah sure okay 
So, you know, just at the outset, they used in the first two paragraphs, they used the word threat um, three times to sort of frame. Um, I don't know if to frame the discussion, but to certainly to make a point. Then in the second part, under assumptions, it said some UAP may be attributable to sensor anomalies. So I said, OK, what's an example of a sensor anomaly? What are a typical number of targets gathered by particular weapon system sensors that are deemed either Intel or air crew to be anomalous in a given year? So if you're going to, to me, if you're going to throw something like that out there, that there's sensor anomalies, okay, how many sensor anomalies do we see from other platforms just normally? Mm -hmm. And that's a question that I would want to ask them if they're going to throw, if they're going to throw that out there as a, as a, as a little bit of chaff, as we'd call it, I would want to know the answer to that question as a, I, I've never been a sensor operator, but I've flown on aircraft that had sensors. So mm. Yeah, what do you think agreed. of that, Andy uh, or Nathan? Go ahead, you can go first. Yeah, Nathan, go ahead, go for it. Uh, yeah, I mean, I completely agree. Uh, it, if you're if you're on that panel of of Congress people and you're you're being briefed on this, uh, I would hope that what you just raised is is addressed in that conversation because these are just normal logical questions to ask about. You know, if you're going to cite this, then give me examples within the you know within our operational field. You know what are we seeing? You know where 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 else do these anomalies show up? Right. Is this a you know is this a computer glitch? Uh, was it anomalous in in just one system, or was it anomalous in multiple systems? Was it anomalous uh, both from a visual standpoint, but also from a, a sensory data standpoint? You know, if you if you if you're answering it's anomalous to all of those different means of recording the event, then clearly it it, it tends to start looking less anomalous and more real. Uh, but if it is anomalous to one system, then I think, you know, you're probably going to more likely default to saying, well, that that just may be a one off and it's not that reliable. What did you think, Andy? I mean, when they say that they're throwing that out there. So then I'm going to ask the question, OK, how many anomalies do we have <laughs> reported by, you know, by air crew and Intel in a given year on an F-18 or or uh, F-22 or whatever? I like the fact that they did, and I think this is what's annoyed a lot of people. They've, they've used a lot of common sense that they have to say that, do you know what? Some of these could be glitches. Some of these could be human error. Some of these could be birds or balloons. That's that's the point. But then when they go into the detail of it, like I think I've got the, the report up here as well. And was it um, 18 cases? 18 of the cases where uh, 18 incidents uh, appear to demonstrate advanced technology. So again, that's where you start to see multiple different, and I'm using obviously terminology I'm not massively familiar with, not having a military background, but mm -hmm. multiple different systems picking up anomalous behavior. And that, like Nathan's right, like you say, it's it's like earlier on today on Twitter, someone posted a new picture that was, that was put on Reddit, and it looks really similar to those three pictures of the pilots taking the picture with their iPhone, mm -hmm. um, whereas this time an object's on the left-hand side, and it looks... It looks odd, right? But already there's people claiming it's fake. I've not really looked into it much because right now it's just a picture. Mm -hmm. And it looks like it's a picture that's been taken of our computer screen, which has the picture on it. Oh, okay? wow. Okay. Which, again, that, that can hide a lot of um, Photoshopping too. Because if you're going to fake an image, then if you 
reduce the quality and clarity of the image by taking a picture of the screen that it's on it makes it harder to identify if it's fake or not okay so there's like i say that's just one image and it's oh yeah it's interesting i've been asked my thoughts by a few people and all i've been able to say is there's not enough data it's an interesting image could be fake could be real could be nothing could be something i i don't know what to say and that's what the report had to acknowledge as well that and Nathan's right that there, there might be something on a radar like you know if you're if you're Gary Vure, he's sitting at your spy one radar desk like mm-hmm. he was I think that's a redundant system now from what Gary says but it was it was what was used in 2004 and if he's watching that he probably knows he's probably seen tracks now and again where he's went oh that's interesting but nothing more it was there and it was gone nothing else picked it up nothing else saw it, it could have been anything it could have been a glitch an right? anomaly yeah that's it and that's what we're talking about was it just something that went a little bit wrong it could have been something that might not have been we will never know so you've got to look at the the systems that are are picking these things up from multiple different points of view what we're not privy to as the public are those additional systems and necessarily what they mean some of them might not even make sense to us anyway you know when we look at these oh look here's uaps on radar that, what does that mean that could be anything someone with a trained eye could be looking at it going right, those are like yeah. those are going really really slow or someone with a trained eye are going actually those are going incredibly fast you know that's it's or someone could be telling you that one point is actually three different things because they're all at the same the same point and within a distance so mm-hmm. you need context and people to explain this stuff as well which the common people like myself we don't we don't know that so i think especially within the classified section of the report there appears to be a lot of cases uh, and amongst that 144 at least 18 to 20 they're talking about that have multiple different systems picking this up one for example i think would really benefit from that is the the video that jeremy corbell leaked a couple of months ago a couple of weeks ago now um from the uss omaha from july 2019 the triangle oh okay yeah i was so, gonna say that was the russell was that the Russell? That was the Russell, was the triangle. Omaha was the sphere going in the water, I believe. Right, yeah. Yeah. This is is how spoiled we are with uh, stuff these days. (laughs) There's so many different events. Thank you, Corbell, my brother. (laughs) Can you imagine back in the 40s and 50s, people were like, was it Roswell? Was it this one? Was it this one? I don't know. There's been so many crashes recently. Um, (laughs) But yeah, so, so the Russell. So you had the triangle, and so many people still refer to it as the pyramid UFOs. However, from the one video we have, it does just look like a triangle. Okay. And a pyramid flying wouldn't look like a triangle because not it would have a square base, wouldn't it? Potentially. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I don't want to pretend it, it to be an or, expert. Yeah, it, I, I thought it was it three dimensional. At one point, I might be wrong. So. So from that video, though, however, you're the, you then hear there are there is testimony that tells you they were pyramid shaped. Cool. So then that becomes an element of faith has to be put in that that and that's that I. I'm happy to go with the word of the people on board that saw that. However, for me, and this is where the conversation can get frustrating when you start to have it with members of the public who aren't necessarily interested in UFOs or well-versed on the topic or they're just getting involved because they see that video and they go, well, it doesn't really show anything. And then they see someone debunk it and say it looks like a commercial um, commercial flight lights flashing. Mm-hmm. But oh, then... Yeah, like... Okay. What, then, so then yeah. you've got to ask the questions like why were they filming it in the first place yeah why are you going to film who told that team to go out and film it yeah. what other systems picked that up so then where there five or six different groups sitting at different systems going look at that thing signature for this it's giving off nothing of this that we would expect it's actually moving at this speed when it should be moving at this we, we can't see that all we get is 
here's a pretty cool video. Well, I mean, with that one with that one shot that we saw, if you can see it through that night vision goggle, that that night vision scope, if you will, then you could definitely see it on EOIR for sure. So somebody on the ship that had an EOIR can't, um, you know, mounted part of the uh, system sensor suite would have seen that, and I'm sure there's that's out there that it was on that, and I don't know if it was a we, you know, as far as it being picked up by radar, you know. The aircraft radar, you know, we talked about that on my last podcast. Unfortunately, you weren't there for that with uh, Jeremy McGowan. But um, the aircraft's radar was um, at least, all right, so like a targeting radar when it looks at something and it's the way that the trons come back to the, it's a receiver transmitter. So it transmits, when the beam comes back, it receives. Then there's something called like, some sort of a signal processing unit. That's what we call it. They may call it, have a different name for it. But the signal processing unit will interpret it as, is this a jam? Is it is it not a jam? And then they might have a jam light that, that goes off and a cause of a little caution light jam. So when they when they shot that beam at the uh, Tic Tac, that's what they got was they got, they said we're being jammed. So I'm assuming that their radar told them that. Um, Anyway, whereas the Aegis couldn't jam that, <laughs> you know what I'm yeah. saying? That's a big wide beam that's crossing the entire horizon 360 degrees around the ship. Um, and I, I just want to bring it back sure. to, to something Nathan said before yeah, in the last, sure. last Nathan miss as well. So there's there's three events we've talked about, okay, between the Omaha, the, the Russell, and the, the Nimitz-Princeton event that we talk about. You had a tic-tac, a sphere, and a triangle. If if none of that is human tech, why have we got three different shapes? Uh, and that's like Nathan's asking, is that the next step? I would just like to know, Nathan, what do you think? Like, Do you think those are all the same thing, but in different shapes, different species, or, or what's your thoughts? Great, It's a great question. Uh, who knows, right? I mean, that, that, that's it's kind of a... You know, we've heard a lot of reports uh, throughout, uh, you know, the lore, the history of, uh, you know, whatever this phenomena is sort of representing itself in different ways to the observer. Um, so you have to take that into one hand, you know, stories of, um, you know, flying airships, you know, like <laughs> that seem to do crazy things like back when, you know, airships really just weren't all that prevalent, but, mm -hmm. but people knew what, what, what one looked like, you know, so you have that. Um, so, you know, is that, is this, is this a similar situation where they're presenting themselves in sort of a different way based on the observer? Um, or do they, or if they are all the same from the same source, do they, do these different uh, shapes or, or ships or whatever they are, do they per, uh, sort of serve different functions? Is there a specific function for a triangular shaped craft that isn't the same function as a tic-tac shaped craft? Uh, is a sphere doing something different than uh, an orb? You know, like, is it, you know, what, what, what are these platforms doing? Um, you know, then of course, as you suggested, they could be different intelligences altogether so you know if you're from wherever you fly the tic tacs if you're from you know right. wherever else you're, you're doing the triangles and right you know, nathan, we also have the, nathan, nathan the, if, if there's a football size field triangle mm -hmm. like why would that if that didn't have some sort of beings aboard it some sort of 
uh, robotic or sentient beings, why would you need something that big? Where as something the size that they describe a Tic Tac or or the sphere inside a cube type thing, I could see that as like totally just like a reconnaissance intelligence gathering Mm -hmm. platform. Like, does that make sense? Does that resonate with you? It does. You're absolutely. I mean, if you think about the the size and and, and um, uh, like ref- reflective value of a, of a tic tac or an orb, we're talking as you just mentioned. We're talking about a, a vehicle that is much harder to see. Uh, you know, if you're looking at the clouds any given day, they're pretty white, and you could easily just kind of hang out in one of those things and do whatever you'd like to do, even if it isn't cloudy. That shape. Uh, the human eye just isn't really going to pick it up as much as you would a dark shape with with straight edges, you know. So a, a triangle. This is what's interesting about the triangles is it's like there's no attempt to really mask that shape. Uh, you know, that, that's not a shape for incognito mode. You know, if you're in a gigantic triangle, you're going to get noticed. It's not normal looking, right. uh, unless you're talking about the stealth bomber or something of that nature, which we don't even see that very often. And not, yeah, not if you don't live in Missouri where they're stationed at. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, no, I agree. And um, those are interesting thoughts because I believe that that there are several different types of craft that we're that we're seeing here. But I want to do because Andy, you only have about what fifteen? You have fifteen minutes left, right? Yeah. All right. So can we do a speed round and then at the, we'll end with just conversation? And I'll just hit you guys up with these things I saw and get your reaction to it. Okay. Okay. So this is in the executive summary. It is in the second bullet point. It says most UAP reported probably do represent physical objects, given that a majority of UAP were registered across multiple sensors to include radar, infrared, EO, uh, weapon seekers, and visobs, visual observation. So I say probably they either do represent. So why are we using the probably? They either do represent objects captured by radio, radar, EOIR, or eyeballs, or they don't. Uh, this this many were so you could have said something like this many were corroborated across multiple platforms. This many were not. That could have been a way to frame the topic. So mm-hmm. the probably it there you're injecting doubt into every aspect of it. Do you guys agree with that? Ambiguous statement. I, yeah. In a, in a sense, but. I suppose you could look at it in the sense of that are some of these non-physical objects still picked up at times via those systems? And that, again, that's not non-physical in the sense that humans might have, but if this stuff is multi-dimensional, whatever it's from, mm-hmm. if it if it manages to manifest itself, let's just say they're not coming from deep space, mm-hmm. but they, they find it easier to come into our reality in orbit, or mm-hmm. they're, they're flying about from the moon or Mars or wherever it is, mm-hmm. okay, then what if just for a time or depending what they're doing they're not physical if you remember on unidentified uh, they were at the round table with the italians mm-hmm. and they talked about how they had managed to to kind of respond and communicate in a way using frequencies with one of these craft mm-hmm. and they said was that the the craft are in stealth mode normally during the day unless mm-hmm. they have to use one of their weapons basically mm-hmm so is it a case that there are a way these things can represent themselves that they're not physical for a period or time, yet certain systems may or may not pick them up just depending on the circumstances? So that that would need, that for me that would justify the word probably because okay. yeah they're probably physical, but do you know what they maybe have cases now and again where they go this this thing we were tracking it and it, it flew through a mountain, 
like okay. but it was there, it was there it was on the radar but it was on the radar till it went through the mountain and then it was gone that's fair enough nathan interesting do you have anything it, on, that, on that one? I, that's a really interesting take andy that's uh, i think that's the glass half full take Good. on that on that statement you know so yeah. um it, it's them going that route makes me think they they're trying to reveal more than than we thought that they were in this report um but kind of leaving that open but what's interesting to me so much of the report is uh is ambiguous you know it sort of it leaves a lot of vague language doesn't really get super specific uh for for an institution that really kind of wants to have control over this topic they don't really have it pinned down that well or at least weren't weren't able to pin it down in the course of, of writing this report um, but I wanted to come back to one thing you said, DJ, just kind of about the the, the, the sensory data gathering and everything. Yeah, sure. Um, a few years ago, I was listening to a radio story about uh, about Afghanistan and, and kind of the platforms that we were developing uh, at that time, one of which was a, a drone program where they would fly a drone in a circle basically over an area of operation uh, and just have a camera recording constantly. You know, sort mm -hmm. of the, the, the system would just constantly take data. And the, the way they were using this platform is they would, uh, if, if there was an IED or something like that, they could literally rewind the tape and watch where, you know, when the IED had been planted, where the person came from, tracking that person back to the shop where they made the bombs. You know, so you're thinking of a, a real-time uh, sort of, uh, you know, video sensory recording capability. Mm -hmm. This was many, many years ago. 24 uh, so, hours. Yeah, exactly. So right. you're talking about that platform that's, that's an aerial platform. That, you know, take this as to a step further. The logical conclusion: we have you know geospatial assets that are constantly circling the globe and, and gathering information, both visual uh, and and all kinds of other uh, light wavelength, radio frequency, all this kind of data constantly. Mm -hmm. um, you've got cell phone information. You know, all this stuff that you know the Earth is sort of swarming with this field of of, of activity. Mm -hmm. it, it 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 would be shocking if they did not have an ability to uh you know surveil a particular area uh, you know if one of these reports was fresh right so let's say uh you know you've got a somebody out in the ocean they're saying oh we just saw this and they report this to somebody there are platforms that could have they probably were overhead at the time that could take a look and see what's going on and so you know it's surprising to me that we wouldn't have a, a much more sort of level of fidelity uh, to take a look at these things and 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 answer some of these you know big, big questions about where they came from what are they i think christopher mellon spoke to this a little bit uh people have hinted at it and andy can check me on this if i'm wrong people have hinted that there may be data that was recorded from let's call them offboard sensors but that if that if any of that data were released other than just the anecdotal uh narrative of what a certain platform saw then you could have uh for example an enemy going oh well at this time of day this asset was here so we can calculate it'll be over us at this time mm -hmm. so we'll just cover up with tarps what we're working on and then we'll once it passes over we'll go ahead and we'll take the tarps off right so I think, is that sound right, Andy, as far as what you've heard, that there is some off-board sensor stuff, at least on like Tic Tac? Yeah, from, from the Tic Tac event, like we always hear that they dropped from 80,000 feet down to just above the seabed, but that was the ceiling for the radar systems that were on use. Again, is radar the right term, I hope, there from the system's point of view. But 
these things were coming in from higher up than that and they were probably tracked lower than that as well but again that would be two different systems so if these things were tracked coming in from orbit or space then you would have to look at well what system was tracking that and apparently i think when i interviewed uh, pj hughes and kevin day and gary Voorhees on the round table i done with them they mentioned that you know it was kind of like a rumor that you've got on on the coasts they track like, incoming missiles don't they that could come from russia china north korea whatever and whatever else may be in space as well so if they have managed to find that you know what we are we're tracking this activity because they're looking for missiles just for this is really crude but if you're looking for missiles and you suddenly see all this stuff entering the atmosphere but it just sits there and just hovers then that just gets left and ignored but at the same time the the nimitz and the prince and they're out doing what they're doing and these things are just then dropping to the height they're dropping and hovering there for days and they're seeing them for 12 hours at a time so that's that additional level of data and nathan i don't know if you've heard me say this before on i've said it recently on a couple of podcasts but i can't remember if it was mine or someone else's that just now we've got enough data um, and videos and pictures that it still leaves room for that ambiguity which i think is deliberate but for example with the nimitz there's still people saying it could be balloons it could be this it could be hallucinations it could be projections all that kind of stuff right um could be seagulls but if you suddenly track that you know what as well as this video what about if we had this data that shows these things coming in from space that eliminates a lot of the conversation straight away Mm. because that is then literally two options it's a foreign adversary that has mastered that level of space travel Mm -hmm. and to kind of have that then fly about in the air and potentially go underwater or it's something else altogether so I think that's why we we don't see that, and it's still as limited as it is. Let's nice talk about let's talk about one statement from one person, Kevin Day. He said, "I this object went from twenty eight thousand feet to fifty feet above the water in 0.79 seconds mm-hmm. at terminal velocity. If you took your favorite fifty five pound kettlebell and pitched it out the back of an airplane at twenty eight thousand feet, it couldn't get to fifty feet above the water." At ter- even if it were at terminal velocity when you released mm. it in 0.79 seconds. So wow. that should ring in. And if you're not familiar with aviation, you're not, you don't understand how flight happens. That should blow your mind. And I think that's why Fravor's mind is blown when he s- sees what he saw this thing do. And then people that, haven't really studied aviation not that there's anything i mean we all are experts at something except for me um (laughs) um and and if you've studied aviation and you've studied bernoulli's theorem of flight etc etc that should like blow your mind that that it it just did that and then Mm -hmm. the fact that it went to the cap point is a whole nother matter so anyway uh, let me point you guys at this next one because uh, we're in a speed round. We only have Andy for another few minutes. In a limited number of instances, UAP reportedly appeared to exhibit unusual flight characteristics. These could be the result of sensor error, spoofing, or observer misperception and require additional rigorous analysis. So I agree with that. What I would want them to say is, okay, you gave us three videos that you – released that supposedly you know according to lou they weren't classified so they were you know they were just released not declassified but they released those three videos why don't we speak to those videos 
<laughs> so my which incidents represent sensor errors or spoofing? Is it Tic Tac, Gimbal, Go Fast, Fleer? Could you analyze just three videos that have been released and speak to your findings on those? So I, I would ask, would this go along with, there's a, a statement during uh, within the report that talks about how our, our own study of these is going to be hampered basically without the an advancement in our own scientific you know, capabilities, mm -hmm. which basically states there's some of this stuff that we can't actually analyze or work out because we don't have the technology for it yet mm -hmm. so again i i would look at that as a potential and go is it because there, there's a you're looking going surely it's not doing that because one we couldn't track it doing what it appears to be doing like for example if an object split in two now surely they'd okay. be looking at that going that that must be a mistake okay oh wait no it seems to be back together but it took five minutes and it went in two different directions and traveled at two different speeds. Ah, or again, if you've got an object, it starts releasing other objects and they do whatever they do. So I would look at that where again, they have to look at it and go, so this is either systems we have with, with massive errors or this, this phenomenon is doing something that we just can't track. Mm -hmm. That That's the way I potentially look at that as well, that even the best military equipment has its limitations and they, they're they're going absolutely i mean maybe it has shot off at twenty five thousand miles an hour but i even then i would think about the the speeds they're reporting these moves so if that tic tac shot off and appeared at the cap point are they looking going oh that object was here now it appears there mm -hmm. how do you actually know it's the same object you don't you don't you assume we're, you, you we're assuming, assuming. Yeah, we're because assuming. you're probably going it makes sense that if that object was here and it's now there you don't track it in the distance between that object might have just gone altogether and a different object appeared where it did andy is it not equally extraordinary whether it was different tic tac yeah. or the same tic tac it's, exactly. it's six of one half a dozen and, the other for me if whether it's traveling at speed whether it's appearing in one place and appearing another or if it's teleporting or whatever it's doing is incredible but I'm, I'm i would look at that and i suppose I, I get why people potentially listening to me would be going oh he's given the benefit of the doubt or being an apologist for it but i'm just looking at it going well maybe that's why it says that and if you're going to say some of these things could be birds or balloons or misidentified then do you know what maybe some of the systems just can't pick up what they're doing uh okay but this is okay so this is actually going to go right to this this point i made i just Put it in the chat for you guys, and this is probably going to be the last one we're going to talk about because we got to get Andy out of here because he has a prior engagement. So they said we were able to identify one reported UF. Okay, so this is the one they picked, and this is when if, if you guys want to know what pisses me off, this kind of stuff pisses me off. We were able to identify one reported UAP with high confidence. In that case, we identified the object as a large deflating balloon. The others remained unexplained. Okay, why highlight the one case you deem to be a mistaken sighting, which the government has said for years all have been mistaken sightings? So what what did we accomplish with that one? If you have sightings by naval aviators that says, we saw this, and you released the corroborating videos, and experts at the radar panel said, yes, we saw this, why are we not talking about that one with high confidence? 
for me, it's, it's got. It's, I get it. It's got to leave the room for error, though. And do you know what? See, of the 144 cases, they're saying they had one they could identify, right? I don't doubt that for whatever reason, there's probably another few that were huge deflating altitude balloons or whatever, whatever it may have been, right? Okay. And that might be the stuff that had one system pick it up, but it was a quick glimpse or a glance or whatever it was. But then I would say, let's just even be really generous and say. 20% of them past that are foreign adversarial technology that was just performing like ridiculous speeds or doing whatever it was doing. You're still leaving yourself probably the best part of 100 solid cases that they are going, they still wouldn't be able to, even with more rigorous analysis, identify. So I, I reckon it's just the case of, do you know what, one in 144 we could identify on this occasion update x y and z look into it a bit more maybe more cooperation between various different departments which I, I obviously we hear they had a lot of pushback so again maybe that could have given them a little bit more let's be honest maybe some of the and i know dj this is something we have talked about off the podcasts as well and, and just privately but maybe there's a few of those and i, I, I would put money on it a couple of those are probably secret us tech or secret tech being tested by a bigelow or someone like that a lockheed martin and it just it just got caught up in the wrong place or misidentified probably happened and, and that's I've, where you've got your probabilities i know you've said why that can't I, i've told begin. you that yeah i mean i've argued it with other other military guys even jeremy you know i said you you know you just you can't just throw aircraft no matter how slick and futuristic they are into the way of naval aviators during an exercise, but people, DJ, I, I'm, I just don't I'm think talking about, it, but... I'm talking about people who maybe don't have that same sense or moralistics or do you know what? Okay, yeah, maybe, sure. you maybe might be right. just. And again, I'm talking about not necessarily let's go test a tic tac out in front of a navy, you know, carrier, but just the fact that maybe some of these jets were out doing whatever they were doing, or they were on a mission doing this, or a recon doing this, and something else just happened to be being tested in an area that they thought was going to be clear something like that and maybe that accounts for another couple of them that's that's all i'm saying though that maybe there was something else at the time or russian or chinese or you know that's what i mean but i'm still talking about most of those cases being truly unidentified yeah i mean um it it's i can't say that it's not in the realm of possibility so i mean but going on the order of probabilities i don't think it's uh I'm trying to get my um, my one of these things to copy and paste for you guys. Uh, I just don't think that uh, that that's the case, but it could be. I mean, I have. I don't to, think. So. I, I don't think keep... so either. But yeah. I've got to say, maybe. Yeah, I mean, I just, you know, I I again, I I can't disagree with you to the point of saying it's not possible because it certainly is possible. Um, and I just want to give you guys one more thing about the bias argument, and I'm just going to read it off here because I'm not able to copy it, but. It's, it's the part where they say some potential uh, patterns do emergences. Bias is the result of focused attention. It says UAP sightings also tended to cluster around U.S. training and testing grounds, but we assess this may result from a collection bias as a result of focused attention, greater numbers of later, latest generation sensors operating in those areas, unit expectations, and guidance to report anomaly. My response to that is this. Okay, where I'm located where we have nightly training in a gigantic 
training area that encompasses most of Northwest Florida. Literally, Eglin Range is most of Northwest Florida. Uh, some of the best sensors in the entire military, the AC-130J gunship has probably the best uh, high-altitude cameras. The F-22 trains here, the F-35 trains here, the F-15E trains here, and nobody has seen one. And these guys are talking about collection bias. Now, if they are, I haven't talked to one person who has seen one would, or has or have heard of anything of somebody reporting one. And I say, have you heard? Have you seen? And people look at me like I'm nuts. So if the UFE, if, if, the, if, uh, if there's a collection bias, well, shoot, it would happen here. They're just not coming to these areas for whatever reason. I don't know if it has to do with the nukes or whatever. Well, I was going to ask, is there nuclear weapons? Or no. Anything nuclear powered? No. Okay. No, no nuclear power plants. No nuclear weapons that I know of, but a whole ton of aircraft. Literally, if I showed you a map of northwest Florida and showed you the Eglin Range, they have more property than the rest of us put together. So, but still, still weaponry that another intelligence would potentially not find threatening in the slightest. Oh, I don't think they would find threatening, but there's enough sensors out there. There's yeah. enough. What they're saying is the proliferation of training and sensors are why you're seeing these things. Well, guess what? We're flying <laughs> gunships after no, every night, me, and they're not, not seeing mean, anything. But did it not mean why they're seeing it more in those areas as opposed to civilians or commercial airlines or? Because when I'm out walking my dog, and I, I, I talked about this with Dan like on my podcast, when I'm out walking the dog and if I see a light in the sky, I almost don't never record it unless I see it make a funny move, mm -hmm. which is rare. Um, there's no one there to witness it with me. I don't have multiple cameras. I don't have a, a FLIR camera on me. I have my Samsung S21, that's it. <laughs> hey, so, that's like the top of the but, line phone camera, but, man. Yeah. But do you know what? It's still crap compared to what I would need. And yeah. there's probably thousands of people in the UK at any one point looking up at that area of the sky. But it's not reported. It's not captured. You can't capture it. So I, I get why they would make the point that when it comes to the military, there's a collection bias because when incidents are likely to happen, there's multiple sensors, multiple different people looking at it. They're expecting to see one thing and they see another and they're recording it anyway. So that that's the kind of way I don't think I'm putting that across the way i want to but i i understand why they said what they said we we have the collection of sensors here to rival anything in the military anywhere there's nobody that has more sensors than we have here and i haven't heard a thing that's well, all can, I, can i can yeah. i then wrap up with with a way yes. about maybe off the back of this report we got the memorandum sent out for senior pentagon leadership commanders of the combat commands and defense agency and dod field activity directors and it was basically telling everyone to start reporting this stuff yeah yeah which is a massive thing to come off the back of the report probably more important than the report itself maybe that place where you are starts reporting this stuff a bit more there, see, Nathan, we're able to end on a positive, <laughs> my brother. Um, <laughs> nice. I, I really, first of all, I'm going to let you, uh, you know, wrap it up with your final thoughts. But I want to thank you preemptively for uh, joining us. So. Yeah. Cheers. And by the way, Nathan, nice. I, I, hopefully I'll still speak to you later on as well. Yeah, I'll be around. Yeah, awesome. brother. Did, did you have any final thoughts um, that you wanted to get across? 
Well, I think uh, in the report around this topic, they talked about trying to establish some sort of a baseline of collection that was, uh, you know, separate from these uh, areas of um, of high intelligence gathering, and uh, and you know, how, how do you do that, right? So, I mean, if you if you actually need these sophisticated sensor platforms to be able to detect this type of activity how would you do this in, a, in an area that doesn't have those platforms to try to get this sort of, you know, sort of non-military baseline? And I think that highlights one of the challenges that we have going forward uh, with this effort in general. And that is that in order to really know and understand what these things are, you require a, such a high level of sophistication of technology to observe them that the only uh, platforms that, that can do this are the military platforms. And, yeah. and that, <laughs> that poses a challenge for our civilians who are civilian scientists and other academics and whatnot who really want to participate in this effort and try to help understand what these things might be. But in order for those people to be an active participant, they have to then be exposed to these highly sensitive technologies. So, you, you know, you're really in a bit of a catch 22 where you, you can't quite, you know, who do you let through? You know, you've got people like Eric Weinstein now who are, you know, trying to be more public about their interest in this topic. And there are a host, a whole host of folks in his circle that are, you know, academic and, and would be interested, I think, in, in studying this more closely. So how do you let these folks uh, be, a, be an active participant uh, while at the same time maintaining your, uh, your ability to, uh, to, to secure and, and, and conceal the, your intelligence ga ga gathering capabilities from your adversaries? I think that's an incredible challenge. Well, you, I mean, all of us are, are going to be able to buy like a night vision goggle on Amazon that uh, from, what, <laughs> from what people tell me... Um, I don't know if it was another Air Force guy that was able to acquire uh, some UAPs on night vision mm. that he could then not acquire off of night vision when he mm. was out in like Utah and um, Moab and some some places like that uh, mm. searching for them. Mm -hmm. As far as the cameras, you're right. They are very high tech. Like, for example, you've seen the Aguadilla video. Yes. That was shot with a Westcam L3 um, MX-15 sensor. Hmm. The aircraft that I retired flying, we had those MX-15 sensors for probably a little less than a year, and they we already went to an MX-20. So wow. now those sensors become, oh, let's mount them on a, a Dash 8 for uh, Customs and Border Patrol. That's what it was <laughs> was mounted on, was a, um, a uh, uh, Dash 8 uh, twin turboprop. So yeah. you see how fast the technology gets better. And the MX-20, right. I mean, they, I think there's even a better sensor out there that they're mounted with now than the MX-20 that were being mounted when I left. So, wow. um, yeah, there's a lot of we've there's a lot of tech out there. They're the ones that are going to see it. And that's why you have to giggle when there's a guy like Mick West that are trying to tell these pilots and whizzos how to <laughs> operate and what they were seeing. And you feel bad for the guy because mm -hmm. you know that he sounds so stupid and he doesn't know how stupid he sounds. Yeah. But but I can tell you this, Nathan, from being an air crew. I mean, I have 13 years of flying, uh, almost 10 years in Air Force Special Ops. And if you if you walk into a briefing room with any group of aviators and you're not from their community even mm -hmm. and you don't know what you're talking about, 
they will really, really quickly tell you to shut, literally like shut up and sit down. Right. That's what would happen if I went into VFA 41's briefing room as an AFSOC guy, not knowing shit about what mm. they do. Right. And that's what would happen if Commander Fravor or one of his uh, colleagues went into our briefing room and spoke up and really didn't know what they were talking about. That's how cutthroat air crew is if you <laughs> you can still be an aviator and i can tell you i don't know about what those guys know they're fighter pilots it's totally different training mm-hmm. does that make sense yeah it does it's no, totally completely different. completely and they are trained to intercept identify intercept and kill other aircraft mm-hmm. and, and evaluate what their capabilities are and when somebody sees somebody some a craft do something unimaginable like what Fravor saw then you're just like in freak out mode and you hear their their voices rise yeah. what the fuck is that thing <laughs> right. look at that that they don't talk like that normally right right yep anyway. that's a great observation um yeah and it's um it, it i you know <laughs> i had a thought here um please well the the challenge of this uh, you know, is really profound because you, you know, you've got, I, I do feel for Mick West. I know what he's, I, you know, he seems very earnest, you know, mm-hmm. what, what he's trying to do. And, and I respect that. I respect, of course, the ton of time that he's put into to trying to uh, provide some explanations for all of this. Um, and, and so, but, but really, if you take his, uh, you know, sort of uh, angle and apply it to, let's say, other academics and scientists who really want to study this and try to provide a rational, um, you know, sort of 21st century explanation, um, you know, they're going to come up short because unless, unless they're given access to all of this d- different data. And so right. what, I, what I would appreciate from Mick West is really an acknowledgement, I think, of that, uh, that, of that ignorance. And that's not I don't think him him saying that demeans his intelligence. It's not it a just, pejorative. No, it just it's leaves not. open the door to say, yeah. hey, you know, based on what I have seen, it could be this. But if you know, there very well could be other pieces of information that would change that perspective. And that and that really is kind of I think how science operates is you you know you put forth this hypothesis and you test it based on whatever else you can you can learn. Um, so, but how do we do that? You know, how do we uh, provide these uh, specialists? Uh, with this uh, level of information that will give them greater clarity on, well, on, on answering this question. Well, well, here's the thing is in, in his case, you don't need to because he's not an expert. He's not yeah. a SME. And, and first of all, if he was here right now, I'd give him a hug. I really, yeah. I honestly yep. would. <laughs> I, I would give him a hug. The, the part, what I were going to call out is that he comes at this from a dishonest place. Now, mm-hmm. hey, hey, let me back that up. Go listen to the podcast on his website that he did with Lou Elizondo. When Lou Elizondo refutes his understanding of IR and says, no, it's not, it doesn't mean that you're looking at a heat source. It means that the object you're looking at is colder than the air around it, or excuse mm-hmm. me, hotter than the air around it. Right. That's what these, that's what IR does. He totally skipped over that. Then mm. he debunked, so he debunked something about the gimbal, the tic tac. And as soon as he does, Mick moved right on from that point where Lou said, he said, the experts that I brought into ATIP, their findings disagree with what you've said. Right. And he went and said, and then, so an honest person would have acknowledged that, right? Right. And said, okay, all right, well, I stand corrected. You brought in 
you know, scientists, whoever it was that Lou brought in to corroborate what he got from the naval aviators and and mm-hmm. and the radar operators, etc. Which in itself is more than Mick has seen. Just if you've had a radar operator and his associated data, mm-hmm. all of us are just looking at three YouTube videos telling Navy guys you don't know what you're looking at. That aside, he went. He goes then and asks him about the Chilean Navy video. <laughs> Okay. I'm like, are you fucking kidding me? <laughs> You're asking a U.S. government GS-15 about something that was posted on the internet about the Chilean Navy because you've run out of things for him to tell you you're wrong about? It's just more gotchas, you know. Gotcha That's, on this one. Yes. <laughs> Do you see what pisses me off? Yeah, totally. That's what it is. It's not yeah. that he's trying to provide clarity. That's great. But you're out of your depth when you don't have the data those guys have. Right. You don't have 10,000 hours of ground training, tactics training, flying training, applying these systems in real life, but you can just go on the internet, look at three videos and interview people and say, oh, I think it's this. Right. You well, sound it- like you sound like an idiot and you're the last person that's going to know that. And I'm right. not trying to be mean to you, but that's <laughs> right. what would happen. I've got 4,000 hours. And if I went in Dave Fravor's briefing room, what do you think he'd say to me? Yep. Sit down, shut up. <laughs> you don't know anything about what we do. And I would say, right. yes, sir. <laughs> right. Yeah, I mean, Mick, Mick is either brave or foolish or both because really he's putting it all on the line here. Uh, you know, and he could very well be eating enormous amounts of crow uh, in the future. And, uh, you know, it's a lot. I mean, that this is his brand, right? So, uh, you know, he's that's got the following. problem. Yeah, he's maintaining that's... that brand. And I get it. That's probably helping him pay the bills. Uh, so, uh, you know, <laughs> that. But yeah, but it's just uh, again, I go back to it's dishonest. If, if, if Lou would have refuted what you said and said, look, your your interpretation of what IR signature is, is wrong. This is what mm-hmm. it is. A honest person would have said, oh, all right, I guess I got that wrong. I really need to rethink that. Thank you. Let's go, okay, let's go on to the next thing. Then when he re, he said the experts that I brought in, their assessment differs from from yours. Again, he would have acknowledged it. Now I'm in his corner now. Yeah. Yeah. Because he's honestly trying to get answers. He's applying his brilliant mind. He's uh, I've said on Twitter, he's far smarter than I am. I, yeah, the only okay. thing I've got on him is I'm smart enough to know when I don't know something. <laughs> right. That's the only thing I've got on Mick West. Yeah. I'm not a smarter person. He probably could have trained to do my job in the military better than I did. You know, I was a flight engineer. I wasn't a I, I am a private pilot, but I was not a pilot in the military. I was a flight engineer. I sat in mm-hmm. between the two pilots. So gotcha. and about yeah. uh elbows length back. Mm-hmm, but anyway, mm-hmm. so I've seen a lot, but I just know what I don't know. And uh none of us uh were very good at low level flying infoxville airdrop. I've also uh, flown AC-130s for a year, so I was involved mm. in attack, uh, ISR, and that's why I know just a little bit about sensors, but I don't consider myself a gunship guy or yeah. a sensor expert. I'm not. But again, I know enough to know what I don't know. Mm-hmm. Of course. And well, that's, that's huge. <laughs> yeah, that's that's huge because, again, in, in my arena, in the military arena, I've I've worked with the 160th SOAR, you know, out of Fort Campbell, right? Mm-hmm. The be- You know who I'm talking about, right? The Night Stalkers? I'm not familiar. Okay, they're the ones who basically fly around all the special forces in Rotor. Did you see Black Hawk Down? Yeah. Okay, those guys. Okay, wow. Okay, they're the best on the planet at Rotary Wing, Infill, Exfil, 
And that's why all those Uber Duber special forces uh, work with those guys. Gotcha. Um, but they know that they don't know fighter pilot and fighter pilot knows. I don't know. Right. Insertion, extraction, special operations. Yeah. Highly specialized. And it has to be everybody. Right? Yeah. You can't yeah. be good at, at that many things. That's you right. You can only be good at so many, but. Anyway, I didn't want this to turn into another <laughs> McWest beatdown because. Well, no, <laughs> I think it was it was helpful. But you know, one thing it made me think about, and I, I'll close with this because I got to run. Sure. But the okay. um, the and that is that uh, I think you see this from from Lou from Lou Elizondo his his humanity his his humility. Uh, and his his willingness to to say that everyone in this story is playing a part, and I think that that is sometimes overlooked because when you're thinking about and this is where I, you know, I would love to spend more time on this. Unfortunately, I can't. But we'll, but we'll have me, you on again. This could <laughs> sure. be this is just the first time. We'll have you on next That's time. Good, perfect. Um, so and that is the this this sense that I have that this is an orchestrated thing. You know that that what we are experiencing. Is a is a very highly orchestrated uh, plan, and uh, you know one question I would love to ask Lou is you know are you working with others in an organized manner that that we don't know, who we don't know you know are there people that you are still working with who are helping uh, in the conversation in the strategic conversation about how how to go about engaging the public. I mean, Lou is not turning down interviews anywhere. You know, he's, he's basically talking to everybody, but this is an effort to kind of uh, open the consciousness of the planet uh, at, in, a, in a very, very careful, delicate way. And I think, you know, by, by acknowledging the role that a Mick West plays or a Neil deGrasse Tyson plays, you know, these are people who, who are good at what they do and, and who are approaching it from, uh, a very specific, uh, you know, kind of materialist, scientific, you know, angle that 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 is more the norm than not. And so you really have to and want to engage these people, uh, and and engage them in a way that I think Lou emulates perfectly, and that he's he he doesn't demean. You know, he's 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 very rare to uh, you know kind of come down on someone mm -hmm. um, unless they're disparaging his reputation, which I think is fair. Um, Absolutely. But he's you know, and so I think he's saying, you know, look, uh, we need everybody to come along in this conversation, and and I recognize if you're not there. You know, Mick West, and you're not there right now, and you know it, that's okay. You know, ask your questions, be skeptical, come up with alternate hypotheses. I, like, and if I were in your shoes, I probably would do the same because I don't have that level of data. I'm but, good with that. I'm good you know, with but, that. Just that, be honest. That's all smart. I'm asking for. Just Absolutely. be honest Absolutely. when you're debating. Don't be uh, disingenuous in the way <laughs> that you debate to where there's nothing somebody could say that will that will. Um, achieve any level of acknowledgement from you. That's all I'm asking. I'm happy that totally. He, we want. I wanted to put this on Twitter. We want, need, embrace skepticism. Skepticism. Yes. However, do it in an honest manner, and don't and don't disrespect people who have spent a lot of time doing something and think that you can back engineer their job over the internet with three videos and a, a manual, an Atflir manual that you downloaded from somewhere. <laughs> Right. Well, and this, this is what's powerful too about Lou is that the the truth is powerful, and if the truth is on Lou's side, then there will come a day when when that is more widely known, 
and these people who uh, like Mick, you know, who've doubled down and, and not been humble uh, will have to, you know, have a reckoning uh, for what, for how they behaved and, and, you know, how they engaged the topic. And I think it's at that point in time, if, if in fact we're on the side of the truth that, you know, those like Lou and others will be there to extend a hand, you know, and say, look, I, you know, I wish I could have, I wish Mick, I could have, I could have shown you what I, what I know. And I wish, you know, you could have seen that you know, so that would have changed the way that you engaged at this topic. But, you know, here we are and this is what's true. And, and where do we go from here? Yeah. And, and, and no beef, no beef at all no. uh, with Mick. I mean, I said, I said what I have to say. I mean it. But I, I as I said, if he was here right now, I'd give him a hug if he wouldn't yep. like swap me away. <laughs> I really would. I really would do that um, because I don't want him to think that he's not included and shouldn't be included but we we've just we have to just the only thing we have to do we have one guy and I think I don't, you're not following me I actually just followed you awesome. um, because I just became aware of you today for the first time but um, I said the other day if there's someone who's honest uh, and I just got uh, hired into the government from contractor to government civil servant like Lou was mm-hmm. and he was a GS 15 that's as high as you can go in general schedule government service um that's like a colonel basically yeah huge um and the amount of money that this guy gave up for an ideal i can't say that i would do that i i wish i could say that but i don't know if i would have the courage to lose particularly when i would put i only have five pets i don't even have any children my <laughs> wife and i to put through college what if i had kids to educate well it's I huge could, <laughs> right, I yeah, mean, huge. So, so <laughs> it, if someone wants to attack credibility, uh, lose credibility, anyone in the community, and that's not because we both come from the military. It's it's because he put his money where his mouth was. Even if he had never been in the military, he gave up a GS fifteen job. Right. Yeah. No, I, I thought, I, I, I almost posted a meme on this uh, a couple of months ago, but it was basically about Chris Mellon and Lou Elizondo. You know, here are two guys with immaculate reputations and professional careers, and they're putting their necks on the line for just a fantasy, you know, because they want to LARP and, and, and play U- UFO. I mean, it doesn't make sense. It, it makes zero sense. No. Uh, so, you know, you either have to side on the, on the argument that these guys are playing everyone, you know, that there's some sort of nefarious or, uh, you know, specific ul- ulterior motive, ulterior motive at play here. And these guys are just the, the tip of that spear or, you know, they really genuinely believe it and have good reason to believe it. And so, I, you know, I think if you're a rational person, you, you, you know, you're going to fall on the, on that, on that side of the argument, hopefully. Um, but, but I think this, now this, this really will be my, my last point, yeah, but you please. know, the challenge of this topic in this day and age, is that we are in a in a post-truth environment, you know, and so our, our politics, um, our interpersonal, you know, uh, relationships with people, our social media platforms, we're we've created a, an environment and a culture where we are we we cannot agree on a set of facts, um, and so this topic in particular is going to struggle in that environment. Um, without uh, enough uh, quality uh, information and 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 people with impeccable reputations putting that information forward, you know, so you're going to have to have folks that the public trusts 
with this information, you know, so right now we don't have a lot of, um, we have, you know, sort of government level types type figures who are coming forward and saying these types of things. What I think we will need is we will need private sector people that are, that have great reputations, whether they're, you know, business leaders or, uh, well-known academics or what have you brought into this conversation by the government and given access to, to data and information so that they so can also be, they have to be across the party lines, right? And they have to be evangelists because right. the, the public won't only trust a government spokesperson. Yeah. Now that you're, you are 100% right. That is at a wave soul on Twitter. That is at a W a I F S O U L Nathan, man. Um, your commentary is brilliant. So Will you promise me now in front of everyone that you'll come back on next time uh, we do one of these uh, deep dive, we do a UFO podcast, which uh, I suspect is going to be soon <laughs> because <laughs> I, I want to talk about this more than I want to talk about any other topic. Yeah, absolutely, DJ. I really appreciate uh, having the chance to pop on here. A pleasure talking with you and I look forward to more conversations. It was honor. We'll do it again, folks. That was a wave soul. And uh, he will come back on with us and do it again. I'll talk to you on Twitter. Okay, brother? Sounds good. Peace, right. man. Peace. Okay, that was at a wave soul. And that was, uh, I want to say uh, thank you to Andy McGrillen for coming on with us again. It was uh, just a phenomenal discussion. Andy is just so eloquent in the way that he speaks and the way that he analyzes a topic and frames a topic. And now we've met this new gentleman by virtue of Twitter, uh, Nathan, um, at a waif soul uh, on hashtag UFO Twitter. And so what an honor to be able to uh, spend some time talking with these guys and have and break down the report and have these guys talk me off the ledge. So I appreciate you guys. Uh, I'll be gone uh, up in New York seeing my friends from back home, uh, Hendrick Hudson High School, class of 85, brothers and sisters. And then uh, the week after, uh, we'll be back for uh, some more, more talk with you. I don't know if it'll be MMA or BJJ or life, but um, we'll be back with something for you. And I can guarantee you it's going to be fun. That's for sure. So for um, Andy McGrillen and at Away Soul, this is DJ San Marcos saying peace out, one love, and we'll see you down the road. And the sandcastle issues are all swept away.